Inside the Bearcats podcast. I'm Paul Daner Jr. and I'm here to take you behind the curtain of UC Athletics where we'll discuss all the topics that UCU care about and quite a few that you really don't care about. All right, let's go. Eight seconds to go. SK dribbles into the front court. Joe Patkin pulls up from three. His shot. Good! 2.5 to go. Joe Patkin buries one. Green out to Abernathy, looking for a block. He's got it. Down to the 10, the 5, touchdown, Bearcats! All right, welcome to the latest edition of the Inside the Bearcats podcast. I, of course, am Paul Daner Jr. here with you. And uh, it's been a while. It's been a little bit since we've been able to catch up uh, with the voice of the Bearcats and the Bengals, Dan Horde, who... I think I'm just going to want to put it out there right now. We have massively upgraded the situation from where we were last time. Our, the technology aspect is just off the charts compared to uh, the last experience when you were here. The question is, can I take credit? Because I verbally abused you the last time for how rinky-dink the setup uh, was, and now you are big league. I am big league. I directly went into the fetal position after our last <laughs> one because it, it was so painful. But now, it, it forced me to go and try and – Get big. We've got two mics. We've got mic flags. Yeah, a digital recorder. I mean, last time you had a big reel-to-reel. It looked like it was about 1950. Uh, a, a microphone that, that looked like uh, Dick Clark was carrying it around on American Bandstand. And, and now this thing is high-tech. I'm impressed. It was only because I got passed over for the Bob Barker microphone with the long, with the small little guy on top. I wanted that one. I thought I could get more reach, but that was, that was a little out of my price range. The Barker. The I Barker. Like the, Barker. <laughs> the Barker. Is that a Barker? As a matter of fact, it is. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so it's good to have you back. It's been, you know, it's been a little while. It was, I mean, the last time you were here, it was before, you know, we were at that in early December, I believe, and uh, we, we had all these ideas of where UC stood, and we didn't really know. These rankings had just come out, and uh, we've learned quite a bit about this team since then. Uh, what, over the last month, I guess, has stood out to you most about this UC basketball team and, and where they're at? Well, I think the biggest thing that stands out for me is that as much as you would like to force turnovers and play run-and-gun basketball, it's easier said than done, especially once you get into the Big East. Um, Louisville is doing it fairly well, but really they're the only team that's able to do it, and that's because of the players that they have. It's not a matter of Cincinnati giving up on that strategy. It's just very difficult to force good teams to turn it over and get layups out of it. Having said all that, they're still doing quite well. Uh, but it's not exactly as we envisioned it. Yeah, no, you're right. I think the offensive game plan is, has, has definitely transformed, and you, you can see what it looks like when you try to push the pace when maybe it's not perfectly set up for you. Look at DePaul. I mean, that's, they figure that's the way they're going to go try and win, and they do it by basically forcing perimeter pressure and letting teams just parade to the bucket almost because they want to try and get out and transition. Uh, you can try and play certain ways, but at, at a certain point you've got to be – what you do best and it's pretty obvious this team plays great defense yeah and DePaul doesn't play any defense None. I mean if you break their initial full court pressure you can get a layup almost any time uh, that's not going to allow you to win big and that's why they are six and 70 in their last 76 Big East regular season games that's not good no six and 70 DePaul has really struggled in Big Indeed. East play. is that let's just go ahead is that, that's a good version of the word struggle what well, the thing is how does that happen? How, how do, and now maybe you can just point to 
I'm, I'm not here. I'm not talking about Oliver Purnell or anything like that. I mean, he's doing what he can. I said, I tweeted this after the game. I said, how can you have it where after every single game they say, man, Cleveland Melvin was fantastic, comma, but DePaul falls. I mean, it's you have players, but it feel, they just don't put any of it together the right way at all. Yeah, well, I do think that Oliver Purnell has said, all right, this is the style we're going to play. Hopefully this style will appeal to really good players. And then if and when I get really good players, this style will work. In the meantime, it doesn't work. That's the problem. Whereas other coaches say, all right, I do not have the players to win playing that style. I'm going to try to play a style that wins with the guys that I have. Maybe that will help me get better players. And then I will change my style, which is really what I think Mick Cronin did more or less. Absolutely. When he didn't have the, the creme de la creme in the Big East, he said, all right, we're going to play tough defense. We're going to make it hard to score in the half court. It might not be the prettiest basketball you've ever seen, but at least we will win. And once we win, we'll get players, we'll get fans back, and then we can play a more entertaining style. And I think that's exactly what he's done. Yeah, and and I think what a good majority of coaches that have rebuilt programs have done. And looking at teams like DePaul, even USF, who's had moments, uh, you know, your St. John's, who's had their moments, all these teams that are still wallowing in the back half of what is for the last year now, this Big East, just, and you wrote about this a little bit, just goes to show what Mick has done. And I, I feel like we belabor this point a bit, but look at all these teams that continue to lose, that were in bad straits and can't dig out. There are very few that do dig out. You see, has dug out of it, and it's because of what you talked about, a strategy that worked because he had a coach that could, that could really make it work. Yeah, no doubt about it. And Mick said from the very beginning, it's one thing to get from the bottom of the Big East to the middle of the pack. The hard part is to keep climbing toward the the top fourth. That is what he's done, and that is really incredible because really nobody else has done that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, And it's it's pretty unprecedented. We'll see that top fourth uh, coming up here in the next two days, which will be (laughs) maybe the toughest two games in three days stretch you'll see in the Big East. I mean, when you you play Marquette, who's undefeated in conference, and then have to go to the Carrier Dome a couple of days later for an afternoon Martin Luther King Day tilt, it's tough. Uh, Marquette, uh, 7 o'clock Saturday night. uh, 5 o'clock. Five o'clock Saturday night. Thank you. Uh, limited tickets still available uh, for those of you that want to try and go. As anticipated as a home game as you'll see, I think. I mean, a, a great opponent coming in. What's always been very exciting games. I mean, it's 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 every game has a different personality. We just came from talking with Mick and some of the players about it. it the two games were so different last year uh, in the way they were. But it seems like these two teams when they get together always have something unique. Um, the one thing I want to talk about, though, is you have these, the road and home anomaly that's occurring right now with UC, and it's just odd. This team plays so well on the road. They've won 12 of their last 14 on the road, and they've beaten good teams on the road. It's not These haven't been cupcakes. And at home, of late, uh, now they've lost three, three straight home games. Talked with Mick Cronin a little bit to, to kind of talk about that and where he thinks that comes from. Here's what, here's what Mick had to say about that. I have a lot of opinions on that. Probably all of them are um, baseless and pointless. Because mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I think that that uh, I, the biggest mistake teams make is thinking, "Well, we're at home, we're going to win." And and uh, you know, we, we've made the we made the the adjustment here in the last few games of taking each <coughs> each game separately. 
and uh, not looking at the totality of the schedule. And just, just play one game at a time and focus on the next game, what we have to do to win that game, and nothing else matters. And understand that if you don't do that, you will lose, regardless of who your opponent is. Um, so that's all um, we're trying to focus on. And if you don't have that type of focus because you're at home, it'd probably be because you're relaxing mentally. Uh, and uh, your energy level and your focus and your alertness isn't where it needs to be. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of it goes into maybe the other team played well, too, because there's good teams in this league. So Mick has his theories, obviously. What are your what are your theories? Do you have any ideas behind why something like this can really happen? You know, I tend not to uh, put as much emphasis on their mindset going into the game. And I could be completely wrong about this. I tend to look more toward the players on both teams, the X's and O's, to try and find an explanation for stuff like this. Um, Notre Dame's a very good team and played well that night. And Mick did mention that uh, when he was talking to reporters uh, on Thursday. Uh, I thought Cincinnati actually played fairly well in that game and, and lost. They played poorly against St. John's, but as we've seen since, St. John's just beat Notre Dame. It's not a terrible team. I mean, people, I think thought that they were going into the game. They're not. They're not great, but they're not awful. I was not here for the New Mexico game, so I can only voice an opinion based on what I saw watching replay and talking to Chuck about it, and his opinion was they did not play well in that game at all. I don't know why. Um, I assume New Mexico had a lot to do with it because they're pretty good. But, again, I I tend to think that it's more about the matchup and about – X's and O's stuff as opposed to, well, we, we just kind of relax going into the home games and we really bond and play harder on the road. Uh, I'm not quite as a, a big a believer in that. You, you see these guys. I mean, you're, you're obviously on the road with these guys. You see them. Do you notice any difference in guys on the road as compared to maybe on the home? I mean, when you see them, whether it be around hotels or before the games or anything like that, is there a difference? No. No? No, no difference. Yeah. I mean, I think this team plays hard every game. I don't think effort is a big problem. So, no, I don't really detect a big difference home or away in terms of their attitude, how they look, how they approach things, uh, how they seem in the hours leading up to the game. I don't really see a difference. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of times you can just say, well, it's maybe just a coincidence thing because this happens in basketball. Your streaks come in different places and different ways, and sometimes it's it's odd statistical things. You, You hope that this is one of them. I certainly don't think there's a disadvantage to playing at Fifth Third Arena. Certainly not the way it has been for some of the recent home games, which have been uh, pretty great atmospheres. Um, And this one is certainly expected to be with a Saturday night game uh, against Marquette. want to touch on when everybody's heart stopped in Bearcat Nation real quick. Uh, The DePaul game, Cashmere Wright goes down. It looked awful at Mm -hmm. the time. Where did your heart end up at that point? I think everybody's assuming the worst at that point. And I guess take me through sort of the the emotions of trying to figure that out of what's going on. And I know in my head it was, wow, where do you go from here? That's the one that you just can't even envision. Where do you go from here on this team? Honestly, that is the hardest thing that a broadcaster ever has to do, to describe a scene like that knowing, okay, his, his relatives could be listening. They might not have a TV monitor for whatever reason. Um, You know, your fan base, very emotionally invested in this guy, is listening. So you are trying to be as descriptive as you can possibly be without uh, conveying your own potential heartbreak. Because naturally, I love the kid. And uh, my initial thought was, oh boy, this is not good. Uh, So you're trying to be very descriptive, 
trying not to be overly emotional and uh, not jump to any conclusions. But it's very difficult. That is probably the toughest thing that any announcer has to do, try to describe a scene like that where you're thinking in your own mind, this guy might be done. Right. And and with Kashmir, right, and he's been – I don't know. I feel – I have a weird connection with Kashmir. When I first came on this beat uh, three, four years ago was when his first year where he started playing, and I was – from Georgia, where he's from. I mean, I, I had been working down there and had followed him and, and knew a lot of his backstory. And he was sort of a guy that was great, but under the radar and really just associated with him. He's such a good kid. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the way he worked through everything, and he, he plays, I mean, he, he is Iron Man. This guy has been playing with knee problems for years. I mean, I remember Mick talking the story about before the UConn tournament game when they had to take him to a special place where the lights weren't on because he was having migraines and his knee problems where he, he didn't practice for almost the entire time they were in the tournament. But he goes out there and plays and played hard and gave so much effort. This is a guy that he just he just plays through everything. The last thing you would ever want to see for all he's fought is when he's finally at this point of his senior year and playing the game, of you know, as Mick called it, the game of his right. life. You see that happen. You just say, gosh, that would be so sad. In that respect, where I'm, where I'm going with this is – he is just invaluable to this team. And the way he's playing right now is the best he's ever played in his career here, in my opinion. That's saying something. He's had some great stretches. Yeah, I totally agree. He had 20 points and 7 assists with 15-12 to go when yeah. he left that game the other night. And the thing was, you know, DePaul was playing full court, 94 feet, intense man, uh, full court pressure. And he's handling the ball the whole time. And we were remarking during the game, as his point total is increasing and as the assists are adding up, you know, he is going to be dead tired at the end of this game. Chuck and I, we, we might have to carry him to the plane uh, because of the workout he was getting. And, you know, it's unfortunate that he went down when he did. It'll be very interesting to see what happens. I, I think all signs are good. Um, as we traveled back to Cincinnati the night after the game, he had an ice pack on his knee, but was joking with his teammates, did not seem to be uh, limping really badly. Uh, we were not at practice on Thursday, but we saw him begin to walk out toward the court. Had something on his right knee, but didn't look especially uh, limiting. And uh, when he saw a bunch of reporters were still out there, he turned around and went back into the locker room. Smart but, man. Yeah, smart veteran man. Veteran leader. Uh, but uh, I, don't, I don't see a scenario where he's going to be out for an extended period of time. But if he had to miss a little bit of time, and again, I'm not suggesting that he will, but if he did, I wonder if they would bring Jeremiah Davis the third back. Uh, yeah. All signs are that he's going to redshirt. But I think the uh, hand injury that's kept him out has been getting better. I think he has been doing some stuff at practice. So I do think that there would be an opportunity to bring him back if needed, yeah. which is probably one of the reasons why you never come right out and say, well, he's redshirting. Yeah. You know, you leave open the possibility in case you need him. Yeah, he's he's there. Jer- Jeremiah's an interesting story. Uh, he had a hand injury, uh, which has, you know, a, the diagnosis is really not 100% clear, but it is healing. Um, he, I think he could be a guy – that if you look at him, he really could help you, and I think a red shirt year could really help him. Um, Sean, you know, Sean Kilpatrick, all, you know, should be back next year. The more you can get, where they, they want JD to be a Sean Kilpatrick type. Now, no one can be what Sean Kilpatrick is, but a type that can play the two, that can just bury shots. And I think the more time you have, where his minutes, even in a situation where Cashmere was missing time, 
would be limited here. I think you can get much more out of bang for your buck on his career and more minutes for him, which he would want, I think, if you if you extend him and give him more time when he has more years when SK isn't here because I think that's always going to be his block, you know, at least for now. Um, but interesting to see what they do. It would be an interesting decision, but I, I would like to see him redshirt. He's missed so much of the year, and I, he can bring you so much eventually. You keep working with him. Give him a year to get his practice in. You know, work with the team and practice, improve on the things that he needs to get better at. That's a whole other decision that we can go somewhere else with. But end of the day, Kashmir Wright, day-to-day, uh, John Rambo, as Mick Cronin calls him, day-to-day. Uh, so he loves that quote. He, do- he does. We've heard that one before. You've probably that, heard That's the end of Rambo 1, correct? The end of Rambo. I think it's the end of Rambo 1. Sadly, Dan, you are asking the worst person possible. I have. I hate that I'm going to have to admit this yeah. on my own podcast. Not seen Rambo. None of them. You're not missing much. But I believe it's at the end of Rambo 1. Because I wrote about this last year with Mick's uh, love of using movie quotes yes. to Im- insp- inspire his players. And this is a favorite of his. So I went back and found the clip on YouTube. But I think it's the end of Rambo 1. Um, the guy, his like, you know, military guy assistant or whatever uh says to him john what you know what happens now or what's going to happen from here and sly stallone says you know i'm day by day or what do you something along those lines so, so that's where the quote comes from it's an excellent sly stallone impression Thank you. Did my face look as you, operated you on and as did. stretched I and wish, as botoxed I wish. <laughs> as his does? I wish we could have video. You really, you got low and really, you were really just demoralized and got into it. I mean, I, I appreciate that. Incidentally, have Sell you ever out. seen Sly in the flesh? I have not. I'm sure it's not the prettiest sight. It's been a while since I've seen him in person, and that may have only been once. But I would say you would have about a nine-inch height advantage on him yeah he is i know he is short tiny it's unbelievable the amount of hollywood that are midgets there's lots of there's lots <laughs> I'm not of short... gonna drop that on him well no <laughs> compare all right short that but are very a, very short he is a short <laughs> shorter not, gentleman <laughs> he's not a midget i'll go ahead and i'm sorry i apologize for calling him a midget he is not a he is a very short guy there's a lot of hollywood that's like that yes. when they a lot a lot of uh you know, a lot of tricks with the camera, shooting up with a, lot of, with a lot of guys. Well, actually, no. See, that's the whole point. You do not have to have a trick with a camera if the actor is short, because then you can get the actor and actress in the frame mm. without having to resort to some sort of Hollywood trick. So that's why your taller guy, your Vince Vaughn, for yes. example, it's a little bit more difficult to uh, shoot him with his female co-star because of his height. Excellent, excellent nugget. There you go. I, I always enjoyed seeing Tom Cruise with Nicole Kidman on the uh, red carpet. Just the ridiculous height advantage that uh, Nicole held over him. I, it just there was no more awkward of a couple that I could ever remember seeing on the red carpet than those two. I don't even think you needed to add on the red carpet. Yeah, There's, really anywhere. Pretty much Tom with any of his wives is yes. the most awkward couple you've ever seen. Nicole in particular. Uh, we should probably just move. We should just I move think off. Should. Of it this. is your podcast. It, I, we can do whatever we want to at this point, but we, I guess the people probably didn't call in for my thoughts on awkward Hollywood couples. <laughs> uh, you know, um, which oh, by the way, I do want to make sure I bring this up. Forgot to mention at the start. You should feel very. You should feel feel very happy. Hold on a second. Did you just check off awkward Hollywood yes, couples on your list of topics? Yeah, I have I have ten <laughs> things here, and I wrote off awkward Hollywood couples. I was hoping to get to that. Uh, <laughs> 
No, I wanted to mention you should be pretty happy. This is going to be the first podcast that is officially on iTunes. Nice. We have moved up. We are now. I have been. You have no idea how hard this has been. The I the IT world at some point in time it, it it's tough. Yeah. I got in. I was having a lot of conversations where I didn't know seventy five percent of the words and the sentences that were being said. Talking how to make feeds and and then you take the feeds and you gotta you gotta you know you gotta pare them down and you I, I it's awful. I finally have made it happen after a long arduous battle on iTunes uh, on the blog here. Just go, you just click on uh, the link I'm gonna have and you can go. You can subscribe to it so it will come directly to your mobile device, whether you're an iPad, whether you're a Droid, whether you're an iTunes, whatever you are, you can find it uh, on iTunes and it will come to you instead of you having to come find it. We're moving up. Nice. We are moving up. We've got Check microphones. That off on the list. Oh, yeah. Talk about iTunes. <laughs> Don't forget about that. Back to Hollywood Back couples. To, <laughs> to Hollywood couples. So that Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, no, I, let's talk a little bit about Marquette. I love this. I, I was doing a little bit of research on Marquette and I love this quote from uh, Buzz Williams, uh, who said, talking about his team, who, who has found a miraculous way to win four games. They're 4-0 in the Big East. Uh, they have overtime against Pitt and UConn. They beat Georgetown by one and had a relative blowout against Seton Hall on Wednesday where they won uh, by seven points. He says, uh, I don't think we're great, and I honestly don't know what we're good at at times, but if we can get good at winning, maybe that can be enough. That really kind of describes Marquette. They don't do anything that comes off the page at you, but they just seem to – they do find ways to win in those tough situations. That's a scary team to play, one that really just knows how to win. Is that a thing where maybe Marquette is a bit overrated at this point because those things tend to average out? Or are they – you think that maybe they are just – they're good at winning? I think they're good. I do think that uh, they're not one of the best teams in the Big East. I think they've taken advantage of a fairly soft first four league games. Not sure. that they've played the you know the bottom of the pack every night. Right. Obviously, a Georgetown win looks good on paper, but Georgetown has had its problems sure. in uh, recent weeks. But I do think they're good, and the thing that they've done maybe better than anybody over the last four or five years since Buzz Williams has been there is get layups. They get layups. Uh, a lot of teams, you know, Notre Dame is a good example. Cincinnati at times is a good example. If they hit some outside shots, they can beat anybody, but they have to hit some mm-hmm. in order to beat the best teams that they play. Marquette is really not like that. They no. get layups. They get in transition. They get to the basket. They've always got good guys that can drive. Uh, that's the case this year. And they, they managed to get a lot of easy baskets, and they get to the line. I love the Ken Palm stat nuggets, and uh, they are in the bottom. They're, they're outside of 300 as far as points percentage of points that come from the three-point yep. line i mean they just don't they that's don't, usually the case yeah that's not their deal they right. don't i mean they, and, and that's a credit to buzz williams for finding ways to do it if you can find ways because to get layups it's not easy so don't don't expect marquette to come in here and have a three-point barrage and it's just going to be uh you know uh three-pointers in the air that's it's not not really their style but a big game uh a big two games do you we make fun of uh the measuring stick concept a lot i mean mm-hmm. it's in the course of the season, you eventually float to your level. Do you make anything of this weekend, these two games in three days, as a bit of a measuring stick with this team? Uh, I think we saw a little bit of where they were at against Notre Dame, who played great, um, but a chance to really see where you are. This is a team that w- thinks they can win the Big East tournament, win the Big East championship, and that's a, what they believe to be a realistic thing. 
do you need to win these games and, and, and get that confidence and show where you're at at this point in order to do that, you think? I mean, is that an important thing? I think it's important to win the, the home game against Marquette at Saturday, especially yeah. when you haven't won your last three. Um, to say, do you need to win these games? I mean, they're going to be a big underdog on Monday at Syracuse. Absolutely. But do you, so, you, need, do you need to show that you can, you can play with these with – these, with Syracuse, I guess, in particular? I mean – they did beat them last year. The only team to beat them with Fab Mello. It's not that they don't believe that they can, but this is a different group with different things that they're trying to work on. Uh, is is there anything to finding out where you're at as a measuring stick? Um, yes and no. Yeah, I would say uh, it would be very damaging to lose both. I think if you go one and one, you know, from a league perspective, that's probably what you're expected to do. And as for the showing against Syracuse, I mean, I suppose if you got destroyed, that would be pretty telling. Um, if you won, that would be very telling. Right. But if you play a decent game and wind up losing at the Carrier Dome to a team that's going to be ranked in the top six or seven in the country probably, that's, so, that's probably the expectation for most of the experts. And at the end of the day, if you win both and then you lose your next two games, Absolutely. it means nothing. And that's the Big East for you. The Big East, which I can't figure out. I mean, I see. This is the craziest year ever. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I sit here and I see results come in. Like St. John's beating Notre Dame, which take away Notre Dame, which played as good as I've seen a team play in Fifth Third Arena when they played here. I mean, they were remarkable. Their ball movement, the way they, the, just the way they play, they were so precise. I mean, it was it was fun to watch, to be honest. And then to see them just lose their next two, and now Jack Cooley is suddenly the problem. I mean, somebody somebody figure that out for me. And across the rest of the league, up and everybody's up and down. You don't really know what you're going to get. It's it's as wide open as it as it, as you can see at any at any point I can remember. Yeah, I mean, maybe after Louisville and Syracuse. I mean, right yeah. now those two seem to be the creme de la creme. We'll see on Saturday when they face each other in Louisville. Yeah. Uh, but after that, I, I I can't project any of the results. I mean, I try to, and I'm wrong yes. at least a game every night. So it aside from those two, it's been nuts. Where, I guess this is a loaded question, but I mean, where does UC fall in that? I guess when when you talk about it, it is so wide open. They're just kind of in the mix at this point, and you hope that they can put it together to rise up. I, I, I you know, I feel like they're 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 right there. Uh, they're they're on. Not that they're at Syracuse and Louisville. We'll find out, but. They're, I think they're in the upper half of that, certainly. I think they. I think proven, better than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they're as good as Syracuse or Louisville. I hope to be wrong about right, that. Right. But I think they could be the next best t- team. We'll yeah. see over the course of the next 15 games. But I haven't given up uh, the notion that they could be third or fourth mm-hmm. when the, the whole thing shakes out. I think that's still very realistic. Yeah. You. Uh, uh, I want to mention Jermaine Sanders real quick, who's played a lot more minutes. I know you talked to him today. Have you been impressed by his development? I feel like. He's really, he's really come along here in the last, even just the last month. Really given, he's given a lot of key minutes. He's hit a lot of big shots and, and started to become that guy. He has his moments like all these young guys mm-hmm. do, uh, but he seems to be really starting to find something. He's a very good shooter yeah. who's always been reluctant to shoot for whatever reason. I think it's not uncommon for guys that come you know, to the collegiate level where people are so much more athletic and, and everybody's good. And suddenly they're like, well, hmm, you know, should I be taking shots against this competition level? But he started to. His teammates encourage him to. And he's a very good shooter. I, I think he's also a very good passer for his height. 
probably one of the better passers on the team. He's not a great athlete, but he's getting better. Uh, the work he's done with Mike Rayfeld has really helped him. I think he feels much more confident in his quickness and in his jumping ability. So, you know, I don't, I don't expect him to ever be first team all Big East or anything like that, but I think he is developing into a very good complementary piece. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a lot of what Mick has talked about this year was the need for those complementary pieces to really step up. That was one of the biggest questions, whether it be a backup point guard, whether it be at guys that can come in and really give, give Parker and Kilpatrick a rest. G- guys like that are really invaluable, and he, he has proven to be maybe the most reliable of those of those types uh, of all those younger guys, mm-hmm. you know your your Gilon, your Shaq Thomas. He really has, which I can't say you would have been able to think would have been the case, uh, you know, during the end of the regular season last year. And I don't think it's a great passing team in general. I don't think the guards are great passers. They're willing passers. I don't think they're terrible passers. But I don't think you have like a Notre Dame type situation where everybody that handles the ball a lot is great at that aspect of the game. But the trade-off is I think two of your bigger guys, Rubles and Sanders, are really good passers. Mm-hmm. So that helps make up for the fact that, that maybe your guards are not great for the most part in that category. Yeah, when this offense has really been at its best, Titus Rubles has been creating and dishing. I think he, he's been one of those X factors. Whenever he can do that and drive under control, which for the, the poor souls that listen to this podcast religiously, you know that I repeat that over and over again, but it really is a difference maker. When he drives, is under control, and and takes his time in there and doesn't rush or force things or just run into a charge, he he changes the, he changes the, the look of this entire offense. I sure. think he's the best passer on the team. Yeah. Cash included. Mm-hmm. I think Titus you know, sees guys, sees things developing maybe better than anybody on the team. So when you have a guy at his height with that skill, it's a huge difference maker. Absolutely. Well, uh, I've got a, one more, th- I guess, Katy Perry and Russell Brand. What went wrong there? <laughs> We've got – I want to get – I'm, I'm going to uncross she, it. I'm she came it to her senses. She came to her senses. What, what happened there in the first place is probably more – it's more right. Has anybody with less talent ever made it big What did him? he do? What did he do to get there? I mean, it, I guess – he must. I assumed that there was some huge thing that happened in England that just made him catch fire. And we, being Americans that love to copy whatever is going on over there, we must have just said, "Well, we gotta like this guy." He he's hosted major events in this poorly, country. poorly, yeah. absolutely. I mean, he did an Arthur remake for God's <laughs> sakes. Thankfully, neither of us saw it, I hope. No. Because I didn't. Absolutely not. If I would have had to come out of this podcast and said that I didn't see Rambo, but I did see the Arthur remake, <laughs> I would never have another list. No one would ever subscribe to this to this podcast. That would be a huge credibility killer. <laughs> Absolutely. I- iTunes would cancel you. Would cancel. We can't have that can't. on our <laughs> service. No, we are a reputable organization. Uh Dan, I want to thank you for uh, for taking the time out of your day to join us. I know you've got the home game, and then your big triumphant return to Syracuse. The ticker tape parade, I assume, is is set for uh, early in the afternoon. I, I assume that's the case. That's yeah. always the case whenever I go back. I'm a little bit bummed because this will be the last time for the foreseeable future yeah. that I will be going back there. Hopefully, uh, you know, the band gets back together in the ACC in another year or two. Yes. But uh, in the meantime, this is the last scheduled return, so I will – I will cherish my time back in the queues. Cherish your time. Uh, are, do, you, do you have a restaurant stop already planned out? As a matter of fact, yes. Yes. 
uh, the Dinosaur Barbecue is right. the place that you go when you're in Syracuse. And I didn't realize it, but uh, the entire team will be doing a team outing there on Sunday night. So wow. Looking forward to that. So you will be there with him, of course. Will you be giving menu tips to everybody on You know exactly? what? It'll be a, a private room, uh, banquet-style kind of thing. So they'll have ribs, chicken, stuff like that. So we will not be ordering off the menu, but at that place, you don't have to. At what point will the stories of your glory days at Syracuse come out? Is that, is that post-meal? You know what? Those, those stories never really stop. Yeah. <laughs> I, I annoy those guys with that type of talk whenever possible. So we don't even have to need to be there for me to launch into that material. I'm, I'm sure your college life is very similar to what their college life is like these days. I'm sure it's just all the same, the same wavelength. If, if any of those guys were in the basketball pep band as freshmen as I was, then yes, we'd have a lot. You to, were in the pep in band. I was. Wow. One solid year in the, the Sour Citrus Society, which is the name of the Syracuse basketball pep band. So what, what did you play? Alto sax. Alto sax. Could you break out the sax? I could. You could? I could. In fact, after the passing of Clarence Clemens... If the boss needs a new sax man, I think they've been using his nephew. I'm sure you're his like first that, call. Yeah, if they need a guy, I'm good to go. <laughs> we're putting we're putting that out there. I, and I, I might request the next time we have you on, bring the sax. Bring the sax. Let's do this. I want to I want to hear this. All right. I had no idea. Check. Check. Check Dan that one off. Sax. Dan brings sax. Checked it off the list. Now, thanks to Dan for coming up and joining me again. And thanks to everybody for listening and subscribing on iTunes. Uh, I hope you enjoy it because it really ruined my life for about three weeks. Uh, thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Oh.